Um, so here's what's going to happen next. Uh, we're in the second installment of our new series right now called Melodia. And uh, I shared last week that we're going to have a different piece of music that plays at the beginning of each service that is supposed to elicit some emotion. You're supposed to form an opinion. So those of you in the room who are just way too open-minded and you're like, all oh, music is God's music and I like all, that, that's not helpful to me. I'm looking for like, <laughs> I'm looking for like, this is good music or this is not even music at all. So let's just... Let's just know that that's, that's part of what we're doing right now. And we're going to take those opinions, those feelings, because they're not right or wrong. And then we're going to use those to talk about what it means to connect with people who see the world different than you. And what kind of things tear relationship? What kind of things hurt us? What kind of things bring us together? Uh, you're also going to see uh, a lot of visualiz visualizations on the screen. And you're going to see some pulsating lights. The reason for that is for our deaf family, our deaf ministry. Most of them will be here uh, during the 11 o'clock service, but we sometimes have some folks venture into the nine. Uh, we're not doing that in order to create some sort of rock and roll experience. We're doing it because we want to we wanna invite everybody to be a part of the, the message. And so we're going to continue to try to lean into that with each of these pieces of music so that we can talk with everybody in the room about how what they saw or what they heard made them feel. Amen? Okay, so watch the piece of music, form an opinion, okay, I love how open-minded we are, but stop it, I got all these folks like, I like it all, that, stop it, because it's down deep inside, I want to know what you listen to in your car when you're driving home from work, or when you're stressed, or when you need to vent, what do you connect with, what, do you, what doesn't really resonate with you, so listen to this, and then I'll come back and we'll talk about it. Okay, this next part you have to participate in. So I need to know how many people in the room, like, this is your jam. I want to see your hands go up. This is your jam. This is your stuff. Okay, okay. Actually, less people on Sundays at 9 o'clock than on Thursday. How many people, this is not my jam? Raise your hand. Be bold. I don't want anybody neutral, like, mm, okay. All right, okay. Quite a few folks who were like, why are we listening to this in church? Uh, I'm actually really excited. I was telling a friend of mine that uh, over the next 
however long we do this. There's a lot of music, including ones like this, that I never thought I would get to have intro me before I speak. Some of the music that we've already chosen, I'm, I'm curious to see just how it hits, because uh, music, it evokes something, doesn't it? it? It impacts us in a way that even if, even if you've never heard the song before, you just know, like, I would listen to these guys, or you just know, I would, I would remove these. I would break these CDs in my daughter's room if I found them. This is the devil's music, right? Okay. And that's important. That's important that you, that you have those feelings. Let's talk about first the actual song. This song is called Seven Nation Army, and it is written and performed by a band known as the White Stripes. Uh, they are an American rock duo, and this song came out on their fourth studio album called Elephant. It was written and produced by Jack White, the lead singer. The song consists of distorted vocals, a simple drum beat, and a bass-like riff created by playing a guitar through a pitch shift effect. The genre, there's some debate on it, but it's generally considered garage rock. So those of you who are like, yeah, garage rock. Those of you who are like, music doesn't belong in the garage, right? That's where cars belong. You have your different opinions. Here's the profound part. In addition to praising its riff and drum beat, critics have ranked Seven Nation Army as one of the best songs of the entire 2000s decade. It actually won Best Rock Song at the 46th Annual Grammy Awards. Jack White wrote the song, in his words, as a little experiment, hoping to create a compelling song that did not include a chorus. The song's title, many have said, is a biblical exegesis to the seven nations fighting against the Israelites. The song's lyrics were inspired by the growing in attention received by the White Stripes and what people were saying about them behind their back. This is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to take the theme of the song and the feelings you have around the song, and then we're going to dive into the Bible and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do with it. According to Jack White, the song tells the story of a person who upon entering a town hears its residents gossiping about him and proceeds to leave the town in response. But then, driven by a sense of deep loneliness, he ultimately returns regarding, returns to the town. Regarding the song's meaning, White and the drummer Magnus stated, the song's all about, I'll put this on the screen, gossip. This is what the song's about. The lyrics represent an obstinate attitude citing the open lines, I'm going to fight them off. A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back. They're going to rip it off, taking their time right behind my back. So what I want to do is I want to talk honestly and authentically and openly with you about this idea of reopening many pieces of Kesed Church and that some people that you have been following on Facebook or on Instagram or just through the community or things you've heard are going to be joining back together with incredibly different opinions about how well the last year was handled, both by the government, by the church world, by church leadership, and if we're honest, by you yourself. People are watching how we, all of us, live our lives in response to uh, mandates, in response to the virus, in response to uh, elections. People are watching each other and from a distance, people are deciding that person's my jam, that person is not my jam. And those two jams are all coming back into the same building. People's music is coming back with them in the same building. And the feelings you have around how someone handles something, you may think, well, maybe this sermon's not for me because I see a lot of people inside our church and I like how they feel. But there's a bunch of people who don't like how a lot of people handle things inside the church the church as a whole. And we are coming back into 
a community that I think, if we're not careful, it will be gossip, the, the, the idea of the song, that ultimately decays our community and forces us uh, into pockets, into what we talked about last week, only doing life with people who listen to and experience the world the same way that we do. Gossip has always been a problem for human beings. It often feels, as a matter of fact, that rather than fight against it, for some reason, we actually desire it. We actually go out and look for it. We desire being the first to share something someone else didn't know. When you're like, hey, did you hear about, and they're like, no, you can see people be like, oh, you, you didn't know? Oh, well, I'll, I want to talk with you about it. I want to tell, don't, don't tell anybody I said this, but, <laughs> just between you and me, but. Uh, listen, make sure no one around can hear. You should know what I'm about to tell you. We, we like this. We desire knowing things we shouldn't. There's meme after meme after meme around gossip. Here's just a few of them. So we are still waiting on the gossip. And there's no sadness in Willy Wonka's face. He's like, this is, because this is the face we see when people gossip. Here's another one. When you tell your friends you got some juicy gossip and they be waiting like, this is, this is the truth. All of us have a group of friends, right, that we share stuff with. And when they get excited to share it, my daughter oftentimes, my daughter comes home and her, normally her gossip is very celebrity driven. Uh, my 16, almost 17 year old, it's very like, uh, did you hear? And she's taught me that uh, when she wants to share something with me juicy about a celebrity she found out, she goes, dad, I got some tea for you. And at first I was like, what, is, what does the tea stand for? Is, I don't know, is it like truth? Do you have some truth for me? She goes, no dad, like tea. Like, we're going to go sit and have, we're going to talk about what's going on in, in people's lives. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we, this is part of our culture, and very much so an accepted part of our culture. Here's another one. One does not simply not tell the gossip. You just do. It's, it's just kind of become part of what it means to be a community. And yet, I think a lot of us in the room would be honest, when you're gossiped about, when you're not the one hearing the gossip, you're the one being gossiped about and you find out about it, it, uh, it can be very, very painful. So let me give you just some core principles around gossip and then we're gonna talk about what we do uh, when it happens to us. First, gossip. The Hebrew word translated gossip in the Old Testament is defined as this. A gossip is one who reveals secrets, one who goes about as a talebearer, and I like this, or scandal monger. So now when people are offering to share gossip with you, you're, you should ask them, like, are you, are you mongering in scandal? I don't know if you could use that word that way, but, but if you're a scandal monger, you are mongering in scandal. I like this one, though, even better. Social psychologists define the essential elements of gossip as face-to-face -face evaluative speech about an absent subject. So it's talking with someone about someone else who's not present. At a psychological level, that's what gossip is. Now, this room, a lot like Thursday, struck me odd. I, I left the stage Thursday, and so I came a little more prepared Sunday for the fact that I, I realize oftentimes when I'm talking about a subject that I have to kind of work an extreme to pull these people in and then work another extreme to pull these people in, and then I gotta be still to let these people catch up, and sometimes I gotta get bolder to break through barriers that other people have, and 
that's sort of just preaching 101, and you feel the room, and you feel people. And from the very beginning of the talk Thursday, and even this one, this particular sin is not like that. Because anybody that knows anything about human culture knows that they have been gossiped about and that they gossip. Meaning, this particular talk is for every single person in the room. I left Thursday night with person after person after person. I think I had six or seven people tell me, man, that was a hard-hitting sermon. And I was trying to be funny the whole time. I was hilarious on Thursday. And people were laughing, but they were like crying inside. They were like, And I, I couldn't figure out why until finally people started telling me the reason the message hit them so hard. And again, this is why the Holy Spirit is so powerful and preachers and speakers and artists need to get out of the way and let him do what he does. The reason why the, the topic is so powerful is because each of those people told me, I, I do that. I, I gossip. And I was like, yeah, me too. And suddenly I'm like, that was an incredibly hard-hitting sermon. <laughs> I mean, the guy was hilarious, but it was still really difficult. So I'm prepared now to, to recognize that in the room is some heaviness, is some thickness regarding gossip. Because if, if we're honest, we all do it. And if you're lying to yourself that you don't do it, that's probably what people are gossiping about is the fact you don't know you also gossip. Therefore, I tied you in right now. You're all tied in now. Broken further down, a gossiper is a person who has privileged information about people and proceeds to reveal that information to those who have no business knowing it. Now, here's why it's so tricky in the church, and here's why what I just said earlier matters so much, that that we all own the fact we do it. Because most Christians would say they don't gossip, they share. (laughs) I don't gossip. I share about things people need to know. I, 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 don't, I don't like, I'm not out there trying to hurt anybody. I just want people to know things so they can be lifting my sister up in prayer. This, this, is, a, this is an issue. We're, we're famous for this in the church. I typed in Christian gossip and this particular meme came up with our good friend Willy Wonka again, says, so you like to treat people like garbage because of what the town gossip has to say about them. Please tell me more about being a Christian. This is a tool we use. If we're really being honest, this is a tool we use in the church. We have Bible study courses, we have Sunday morning services, and we let people know how other people are doing by sharing with our friends about each other. And... This is also a significant part of the church's broken reputation is that it's just a place where people go to gossip. People say things like, what if I'm sharing for a good cause? I want someone to know this happened to so-and-so so that people around them can support them and encourage them. I'll never forget uh, when, uh, I think it was about, I don't know, four or five years ago, there was an article coming out in the Columbian about my former pastor, where I had worked previous to Kesson for like 10 years. And I'll never forget that all of a sudden, these people that that were fairly close to me started approaching me saying, hey, uh, I think you need to get together with these reporters. They say you're going to be a big part of the story. And I said, well, I I don't really have anything to say. I've closed that part of my life, and I I wasn't really part of that that other drama that the article's going to be about. 
And so they went back to the reporters and told the reporters. They said, hey, he's not interested. And the reporter sent a message through, I think, two or three of my friends that said, listen, if you don't talk to us, we're just going to talk about you anyways. And then you'll have no control of what's said. I actually got called to a, a golf club to meet with a man who didn't go to our church, but that I respected a lot. I went and met there, and it came to find out the reporters had arranged the luncheon. And he goes, I'm here to spend time with you and ask, why aren't you going to go out there and, and, and share what happened at your previous church? I said, is this why we're here? And he goes, yeah, I mean, because, Danny, if you don't, it's just all going to be gossip. So the leverage put on me was that I should share so that I'm not gossiped about, I should share and gossip about someone else. And at the end of it all, do you know what he told me was my reason for, for sharing, otherwise gossiping about those people? It was to protect the name of God. I should gossip about my former pastor to protect the name of God. As if God's up in heaven like, man, Danny better meet with those reporters because I don't want something written negative about me in the paper. He's like, one more article, and I'm done. I don't even know what I'm going to do. I asked him, I said, do you think God cares about me and my interview and what happens? And he goes, well, I just think, again, his, his agenda was pure. His agenda was, I have to share before being shared about. Otherwise, people are going to share whatever they want about me. I refused. It was stressful for like six weeks while I waited for this terrible article to come out. It was like a six-Sunday article that lasted. I was mentioned twice. And the lines were like that long. Pastor Danny from Kesson used to work there. He had no comment. Moving on. I was like, what? <laughs> all this work and all this drama, and that's the end result? It's because people are fueled by gossip. And they're worried other people are going to gossip about them. I must say, as someone who lives a, a little bit of a public figure lifestyle in this little tiny town that I grew up in. I, I don't know everyone who knows me, not on the same level. And I will say that, that I have heard some incredible rumors about me. Like, I'm more curious about the rumor than I am even who started it. I'm like, and then what did I do? Well, where, where did I bury the bodies? How did I not get caught? <laughs> like, it's crazy stuff. After a while, I just started owning everything. There was a year, I don't do this anymore, they were like, hey, I heard one time that, like, you, you know, you smuggled monkeys across the, the California border into Mexico. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I did, and it's a pain in the butt. Monkeys are really difficult. And I just started owning stuff, and people started laughing, and it, I, I didn't know what to do. It was so insane. Gossip is something we're drawn to, and it's something that makes us nervous, and it's something that we participate in. Here's how gossip is distinguished from sharing. For those of you in the room who are still like, eh, I think sometimes we got to let people know things. First off, the first way that it's distinguished from sharing gossip is intent. Gossipers often have the goal of building themselves up by making others look bad and exalting themselves as some kind of repositories of knowledge. Rarely do you hear people gossiping about amazing things happening in other people's lives. Did you hear about so-and-so? No, what? Their marriage is incredible. Like their husband comes home night after night and, and, and gets prepared and makes dinner before his wife even gets home from work. And like their kids are so respectful. Like, can you believe that? What a beautiful marriage. I've never heard anybody spread that stuff. It's always like, 
did you hear so-and-so? Not doing good. What? Not doing good? They look so good on the outside. And your marriage is falling apart, so you're like, tell me more about their broken marriage. Because then I'll feel better. And I'll look like I have something more to offer. So intent, that's the first separation between sharing and gossip. The next separation is the type of information shared. Gossipers speak of the faults and failings of others to reveal potentially embarrassing or shameful details regarding the lives of others without their knowledge or approval. Even if they mean no harm, it is still gossip. Intent matters. And when you are sharing about someone else, even for the, for the hope of helping them, if you do not have permission to share, then you and I are gossiping. Either way, for some reason, even with all this out on the table, often people look at gossip as one of the lesser sins. It's kind of accepted. It's kind of like, uh, as I said, everybody does it. It's part of our community. It's part of our story. So I don't know if I need to work on it that much. But the Bible is pretty clear that it's a big deal. In Romans chapter 1, verses 29 and 31, Paul's revealing the sinful nature and lawlessness of mankind. And there are some big things. There's some big giant things. And then tied like, like kite tails to the top of this kite are these little things that everybody does, that everybody struggles with, that he says also lend towards lawlessness and lend towards brokenness. He says, these people have become filled with every kind of wickedness, big thing. Every kind of evil, big thing. Greed, medium thing. Depravity, huge thing. They are full of envy, big thing. Murder, huge thing. Strife, deceit, and malice. Who are these people? What could be next? They are gossips. What? Gossip follows murder? Gossip follows malice. Gossip follows depravity. They are gossips. They are slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. What? <laughs> That's a good one if you end up having young ones. You're like, look at all these things. And even disobeying parents is in there. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Gossip is, is something that is, it is quiet, it is subtle, and at the end of the day, I think the best word for what gossip does to a community is, is it, it, it toxifies it. It makes it, uh, it makes the soil of the community uh, lack any ability to grow or develop anything healthy, because everything that goes into the ground is eaten up, oftentimes by gossip. And it's not just this passage. I didn't just go find one and and brand it on your heart and say, you should stop gossiping because it's painful. Look at all these other things. The Bible's full of them. I could have just sat here for the next 20 minutes and read nothing but gossip verses if I really wanted to. But here's a few. Proverbs 20, 19, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Proverbs 11, 12, and 13, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Proverbs 18, 7 and 8, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner part of the body. 
I, had, I knew a student of mine in youth group that uh, is very quiet, but he was that kind of quiet that was just sort of stoic and peace-filled. And uh, I remember that as he grew up into his 20s and now he's in his 30s, uh, that people used to talk about this, the character of this man and how one of the things they knew about him is you could talk to him and he would never reveal a secret. We talked about this talk and we joked because I know him so well that, uh, <laughs> that him growing up, he had just like basic social anxiety. Like he just didn't interact in, in such a way that, that he wanted to draw attention. And because of his social anxiety, because of his willingness to keep his mouth still when everybody else thought he would talk, people said, man of wisdom. Because it is so rare. It is so rare to find someone that listens well, someone that processes and pondering. And that's the amazing thing about how he's built, about how he operates, is that he learned to still be part of a community, but this thing that really was a, a problem for him throughout his teenage years and, and into his 20s became part of who he was, and he became this person with great reputation. Now, there's other people that they're just chatty, and they talk a lot. And because of how gossip works, oftentimes chatty people will end up chatting about things they shouldn't, and they become a gossip even though there is no intent behind it. And so their character is flawed. I think that's what these verses are about. They're about recognizing the power of the tongue and the power that it plays inside a community. We are building a community here. We are building a space for people to come and enter into to discover who they are. I say a lot of times at the beginning of my talks, I am all about people who are spiritually curious, emotionally curious, scientifically curious. We are a place for curious people, and curious people ask curious questions. We have people that, that, that are serving in our church and helping with questions you wouldn't even believe. And I'd never tell you because you tell everybody. I mean, beautiful, big questions. Like, like, like stuff that, that I was never allowed to think about in church. But because we've created an environment where people can come and be curious, there are all kinds of, of doubts and fears and things being poured out. But here's the thing. I'm not supposed to be holding all these secrets by myself. We're supposed to be a community of under-shepherds from front to back. We're supposed to be a community of worshipers and people who see someone else and go, hey, do you want to have a coffee? I'm a safe place for you to ask your curious questions. We're not supposed to be a church that just gets a building and then attracts other Christians from other churches who are part of a new thing only to leave two years later when another church gets a building. And I'm over that. Let's just get people that are curious and create a safe place for them. But that means those of us who understand how church work have to know and understand how gossip works and have to decide to kill it within themselves and to call it out in others when they see it. That's how this place becomes what we determine. That's how it becomes safe. Because in spite of whatever we do, gossip's always gonna be part of our world. No matter how hard we may try, it will never go away completely. And I think this is because in the same way each of us have our own taste in music, we also have our own taste in acceptable behaviors, acceptable trials, acceptable successes. We often gossip about things we feel are less than in other people that other people feel are character improvements. So we listen to someone else's life, we listen to the drumbeat, we listen to their Seven Nation Army song, and we say, clearly they had a difficult childhood. Or someone else plays a little bit of refined classical music and we're like, oh, so elegant. We have things that we think 
the Bible includes and things that we think the Bible excludes when in reality the Bible's pretty clear. There's only like five or six things that it holds with closed fists that are like, this is how it is. And then there's a bunch of stuff that it goes, well, what about this? What about that? What if we do it this way? If you're really honest, you have a bent, and so do I. And so there is no inability to untether from the things inside our culture that aren't sin-related at all. They're just how you grew up. And you pointing fingers at other people's songs, the music of their life, and saying, that's less than me, means people point fingers back at you and say, that's less than me. And so our entire community becomes a big finger-pointing gallery. And at the end of the day, the hardest part is all those fingers eventually land on me. I mean, I bought like, <laughs> I bought like uh, three new sweaters. Do you know how many people have come up to me and asked me about sweaters? Like, who cares about sweaters? And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not complaining, I'm just stating that everybody's watching everybody. And until somebody stops and goes, hey, how's your life? and actually means it, we're just gonna continue the same cycle of brokenness that came before us. We're never gonna stop because we're judging everybody what they wear, how they are, what they drive, where they're going, what they're doing, and anything that's negative, that's the thing we're gonna lift up. Not that my sweaters are negative. My wife picks them out, blame her. So here's what I wanna do. Here's how I wanna spend the next just a few minutes. Instead of just teaching you why you shouldn't gossip. I want to also teach you how to respond when inevitably you are gossiped about. Because it's going to happen. This leads to this week's one another verse. Colossians 3.16, it's super simple. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Here's the bottom line. When people gossip about you, hopefully we've spent most of the sermon confessing we we gossip about other people. So 80% of this should be all about you and, and what you can do with your heart, with your attitude, with your gift that God has given you. But there are times when you've just walked into a room and known people were gossiping or you've heard about it. You are to teach and admonish those people when it happens. The third letter of John is the shortest book in the Bible. It's 219 words. And almost all of it is about responding to the words of a gossip. Almost the whole book. John has planted churches. He's working with churches. And he ends up hearing about a man inside a church who's gossiping about him. So he writes this letter. And in it he says this. John 1.9. I have written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. That's kind of an offensive opening. Hey, how are you? I hope things are going well. By the way, we're going to talk about that guy. Because that guy thinks he's more important than the leadership. That guy thinks he's more important, really ultimately, than the mission. So the first thing he does is acknowledge that he's writing a public letter to the church as a whole. He says, I have written something to the church, and he's telling this person that this letter he's written is going to be read out loud. He's going to expose and call out. He is going to make the hidden known. He's gonna say, that person's saying something. Now, I'm not recommending we start reading letters out loud on Sunday morning. But I am recommending we start getting in the room with people that we know are gossiping about us, that we make the hidden known. The second thing John does is confront directly. There's no middlemen or women, no subversive behavior, no workarounds. Look at the verse, verse 10. So 
If I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. He says, I'm going to confront him directly. I'm going to go right to him and I'm going to let him know these things that he's mongering, these things that he's babbling, they have no place in our community. So you, you expose what's happening and then you call out directly. You don't go to other people and gossip about someone who's gossiping about you. This is why the church misses within the cylinder of this kind of relationship. There's just a miss in our engine because we get in a room, we listen to someone, and then we go tell other people about what we discussed in the room. Even if that person is owning the fact that they're a gossip. Lastly, John reminds the reader this. We are called to be imitators of good. John 111, 3 John 111. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. He reminds them, ultimately, we're trying to be like Christ. We're trying to share our hearts with people. We're trying to love people. And if we can't be a safe place for people to be curious, then we're missing the whole point. That, as John did, is how we combat gossip being shared about us. And I can tell you, over the last 20 years in ministry, I don't think I have seen anything more divisive and destructive than gossip. This is why I'm so passionate as people start coming back together that we deal with this head on, that we understand people have different opinions and different thoughts and different kinds of music that they listen to. But just because it's different than you, just because they voted different than you or see the virus different than you or see mass different than you doesn't mean that they're not a valuable person who gets to be curious about this world they live in. And if there's any safe place, any safe place anywhere to come and be curious about that, it should be right here. So, when we feel gossip around us starting to form, we need to make the hidden known, we need to confront it directly, and we need to be imitators of good, remembering that no matter what someone's choices are, whether they be garage rock or classical, this place is supposed to be a house of healing, hope, and love. And this place doesn't operate without you. You are this place. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. I am this place. And the very best we can be is a place with all kinds of music and all kinds of stories so that our children can grow up in this eclectic community that has different bedtimes, different priorities in school, and different toys, and different outfits, and different sweaters. We are supposed to be a community of differences, not a community of the same. So my prayer for you is that you consider your role in this house or whatever church you go to, for your role should be one of invitation. Your, one, your role should be one of holding close the precious. Your role should be one of engaging and worshiping and asking forgiveness of people you've gossiped about. Restoring relationships and honoring others' opinions. I refuse to let Kesed turn into a house of same. I wanna be a people from all kinds of different paths and patterns, worshiping the one true God and people asking, how in the world do all those people sit in that building and get along with each other? And everybody gets to look around and go, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. 
So let's start with our mouths. Let's start with holding one another precious. Let's start with recognizing the responsibility we have in this place to lift up he who matters most. And let's share if we're going to share amazing things about each other. Let's share beautiful things about one another. Let somebody walk up to a stranger and say, oh, I heard about you. So-and-so told me. Yeah, what'd they tell me? They said, you are just incredible to be friends with. They said, you're just a beautiful soul. They said they've never seen someone overcome struggles like you. (laughs) That's the kind of stuff that we need to share. That's what it means to be brothers and sisters. And to build the house that God has called us to build together. I asked Chris if he would sing the song that he taught us last week, The House of Miracles. I thought it fit really well for us to reflect, not just on where we've shared maybe too much, where we've gossiped maybe a bit, and also where we've been gossiped about and how we need to go about kind of restoring that or calling that out. Either way, my hope is that you reflect upon what it is God wants to do inside your story, wherever you are, how it is he wants you to hold the things you're supposed to steward, who it is you're supposed to love, Maybe this place will become safe enough for you to ask your curious questions. Wouldn't that be amazing? So let's take a minute. Let's reflect. Let's see what God does with the time. Heavenly Father, a lot of people from a lot of different paths in the room right now, different emotions, different feelings, different opinions. God, I know you receive it all. I am grateful that we can rest in this place now and just hear from you what it is we need to do about the role of gossip in our life, whether it's because it hurt us or because we hurt other people, how it is we can protect, how it is we can build up, how it is we can focus only on you and what you have at hand for us, not on other people's weaknesses or brokenness. May we find togetherness in you a beautiful thing. We just lift this time of reflection up. We thank you for what a responsive and encouraging God you are. Thank you for this house that you're building and that we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a house of worship. This is a place of praise. Where every demon trembles. Where we proclaim your name. This is a house of healing. are full of faith. You have our full attention. You have the final say. 
So come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Hey. It's your house, my house. There's resurrection power. Your blood runs through our veins. Your kingdom triumphs over even the coldest grave. So come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is how. sing this out. I still believe you're moving. I still believe you're moving. I still believe you're speaking. God, I believe you're working. All things are good. I fix my eyes on heaven. God, I receive your vision. God, I believe you're working. All things are good. I still believe you're moving. I still believe you're speaking. I still believe you're working. All things are good. So I fix my eyes on heaven. God, I receive your vision. God, I believe you're working.
Jesus, we just lay everything before you right now. Let us focus on things that are good, on things that are fruitful. Let us tell stories of your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. Make your dwelling place within us. That we could be houses of miracles. We love you so much, God. Let's sing that one more time. Come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. joining us this morning. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time.